Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Will you join me in prayer? God, you revealed yourself in the birth of Christ. Speak to us this day through word and spirit. May your word form deep roots in our hearts that cause us to know you more fully and then encourage us to love more. Amen. Well, one thing that is universally said about kids is this. Children grow up so fast. Everybody hears this. Every time our girls come home, like the last couple of weeks, people haven't seen them for a while, they all say the same thing. I can't believe that they've graduated from college. I can't believe it either, <laughs> but it's true. Kids do grow up so fast. Whether parents are ready for this or not is a different story. Like every kid, Jesus grew up fast too. In the nine days since Christmas, Jesus has aged 12 years. That's fast. We're going to look at a story today that is uh, really one of a kind. Jesus has left the manger. Luke has this profound point to make about the nature, uh, the very special nature of this 12-year-old boy. We know almost nothing about Jesus between the ages of zero and 30. And this is the gospel's only recorded story about Jesus during this period of time. So here it is. It comes to us from Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Now, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And Jesus said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
The first question I had, which we're not going to talk about today, is were Mary and Joseph bad parents? <laughs> I mean, how do you lose your kid for three days? Um, I'm going to share a story in a minute about losing my kids for three minutes, and I thought the world was going to end. <laughs> now, Jews were originally commanded to make this uh, pilgrimage to Jerusalem about three times a year, but because of the great distances needed to travel there for people, it had become acceptable by the first century to make one journey that celebrated the Passover. Now, the number 12, the age of Jesus here, is really important. There were 12 apostles. There were 12 tribes of Israel. And the Jewish Mishnah tells us that at age 12, a Jewish boy's religious instruction would have intensified significantly. 12 was a transitional year, still considered to be a child, but just one year or less away from being a man. They must have matured faster in those days because I'm still working on being an adult at 50. Now at 12, Jesus is also now finally old enough to make this three to four day, 80 mile journey with his parents. Luke is trying to make an important point. Jesus's parents were devout Jews and the temple played a major role in Jesus's life. Mary and Joseph were raising Jesus in the moral and ritual life of Judaism. At the center of that life stood the temple. Jesus's family had caravaned to Jerusalem with a large group from Galilee. After the seven-day celebration, Jesus's family and friends would have headed for home. His parents simply thought that Jesus was hanging out with the friends and the relatives in the larger caravan. They obviously hadn't thought too much about it. But at some point, Mary and Joseph realized that Jesus was not in the caravan with the others. And so they turn around, they head back to Jerusalem to find him. Now, losing a child may be the worst feeling in the world. I shared this story once before. I think it was actually talking about in reference to this scripture preached years ago. Um, and it was the very first time that I ever took my twin girls to the mall by myself. They were only about three years old. We're in this huge department store, you know, the kind with the seemingly like the endless hundreds of circular clothes racks with hundreds of people milling around in search of the perfect sale item. We had a rule. The girls were supposed to hang on to the back of my shirt. That's the way that it went. But when I looked down, they were gone. My heart sank. I could hardly breathe. I was in a panic like never before. The one time I get entrusted to go to the mall with my kids by myself, and this is what happens. At first, I stood there frozen, pretty much unable to move. I started kind of quietly calling out their names, nothing. I began to scan the store, looking for them or looking for some suspicious character, nothing. I started to walk around the store now, moving a little bit more quickly, but still not trying to draw too much attention to myself. I imagined what the mall announcer might have said over the loudspeaker for all of Thousand Oaks to hear. Paging shopper and delinquent dad, Robert Douglas, we found your three-year-old daughters and have them at our security kiosk. And oh, by the way, we also have your wife on the line and she sounds rather angry. 
She said, you will never leave the house with her children alone ever again. This is the stuff that's going through my mind. I was just about at the point of an all out panic attack when they popped out of one of those circular clothes racks, smiling, laughing, and having the time of their life. All I could do was hug them. What was lost had become found. After three days, not three minutes of frenzied searching for their lost son, just put yourself in their position for just a moment to experience what level of anxiety they must have been going through during that time. They finally find Jesus in the temple, sitting with the teachers, listening, learning, asking questions. These wise rabbis, the best and brightest of the day, these well-respected teachers were amazed with this 12-year-old boy's questions and understanding of the scriptures. Jesus isn't shown here really as the rebellious preteen. Yeah, this could be debatable, but what is he doing? He's hanging out at the temple, the place that was the very center of Jewish religious life. Maybe Mary and Joseph have just failed to see what many of us with children have at one point or another also failed to see, that their baby was growing up. Jesus simply assumes that his parents should have known exactly where he would be in his father's house. Now, this had to sting a little bit for Joseph, but like everything else, Joseph just seems to take this stuff in stride. He just has some sort of an understanding that they, these things, these things are bigger, bigger than him. And he seems to know and understand what his, his role is. Now, up to this point, Jesus's identity has been given to us only through others. The angel Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, the shepherds, Simeon and Anna in the story that takes place when Jesus is dedicated in the temple right before this one. But now for the first time in the gospel record, Jesus speaks for himself. In his words, we learn a few really important things. First, we learn that Jesus has a very special relationship with God. Jesus refers to God as his father. There's this sense of family, of intimacy that Jesus has with his heavenly father that he wants his parents and later on his disciples and each one of us to understand. Mary at least pauses long enough to contemplate Jesus's identity and mission. She recognizes that something very special is going on here. And the scripture for, I think, the second time says that she treasured this moment like she did the announcement of Jesus's birth in her heart. One thing that I find fascinating that the place where she stores these treasured memories in the heart is also the place most vulnerable to pain and suffering the pain and suffering that would be very real, that would be taking place in the future 
when her heart, this same heart that stored these treasured memories would be broken at the foot of the cross. Second, Jesus knew that he needed to be about his father's business. At age 12, he knew that he was going to inherit the business of his father. One of my first jobs was working at Jack's Shoes in Westlake. My dad had been in the shoe business forever. He was a shoe expert, a great salesman. Because I'm my father's son, I also know shoes and like shoes. I know shoes really well. It's one of the few things I know some stuff about. So I got an interview and was hired. I did my training in the Simi Valley store. I got to participate in the building of the Westlake store from the ground up. I helped build all the shelving and was the key organizer for the thousands of pairs of shoes. And I loved that job. Then the store opened and half of my time was now to be spent on the floor selling shoes. Well, I learned very quickly that like my dad, I loved shoes, still do. But I also learned that I despised selling them. I credit this job with helping me eliminate about 80% of the potential jobs in the world. I knew right then that I would not be about my father's business. Jesus in the temple discovers that he's very much at home when he is about his father's business. A big surprise learning for me when I read this story again and started studying it is that this story actually contains within it Christianity's first like permanent division. This chasm that was created over the dual nature of Christ as both divine and human. This divide began over these words and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and here it is and in divine and human favor. Some were overemphasizing Jesus's divinity saying that Jesus must have known everything as God does. Others overemphasizing Jesus's humanity saying that, well, look, the scripture says that he grew in wisdom just like we do. In fact, it wasn't really until the, uh, about four centuries or so later at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 that theologians first kind of constructed a Christology of the dual nature of Jesus. It offered more of a middle ground between two extremes. Chalcedon urges us to see this dual nature of Jesus as this really unexplainable mystery, not a logic puzzle to be solved. In fact, one commentator that I thought was perfectly at my level put it like this. He said to ask someone to explain how it is that the divine can be human would be like walking up to a soda fountain and asking for hot ice cream. <laughs> that, to me, that makes perfect sense. I think that Luke wants us to begin to contemplate just who this mysterious Jesus really is. Who, you know, the scripture says is growing in both divine and human favor. 
And since we're going to be spending the next few months in Luke's gospel, we're certainly going to get his answers to this question. Now, taking it back a few centuries, in 1 Kings chapter 8, King Solomon asked a very important question. He did it after he built the temple and then was dedicating it. Here's the question that Solomon posed. He said, can God dwell among humans on earth? Can God dwell among humans on earth? Solomon and the Jews believed that the answer is yes. The temple was, in fact, the very sign of God's presence amongst the people, the very place where God took up residence. Now, the New Testament also answers Solomon's question, but it points not to a building in Jerusalem as the place where God dwells. But rather, our New Testament points to the incarnation, to God becoming flesh in Jesus, that in Jesus, God has indeed come to dwell among the people. Jesus, not the temple in Jerusalem, is now the place where God dwells and where heaven and earth intersect, where they come together. Can God dwell among humans on earth? I think that Luke is starting to hint and move us in this direction. Can God dwell among humans on earth? Yes, Luke would say. God can and God has done exactly this in Jesus. This is what we're learning about Jesus from Luke's gospel so far. And finally, as Jesus was about his father's work, Luke might encourage us to also be about that work as well. As we are sent back out into the world from this worship gathering, sent back out into a brand new year with new opportunities and certainly some new challenges, may we all commit to being about God's business in 2021 so that all people might come to know of the incredible love that God has for them, for all of creation in Jesus Christ. Amen.